Lord Jesus, we pray right now. Words of that song. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. This morning, God, I believe that there's some of us praying that who would also admit that we're already overwhelmed. <laughs> we're struggling. Life has thrown us for a loop. As Brennan Manning liked to say, the cheese has fallen off our cracker. But when we praise you, when we worship you, it's an act of faith. So we can come to you and be honest and be authentic and say we're overwhelmed. But we can also, by faith, look to you. Psalm 16, Jesus on the cross, we believe, prayed. Psalm 16. I set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. I'm overwhelmed. But by faith, I look to you and I say I won't be overwhelmed. Because you're where my help comes from. We ask you this morning, come, Abba Father. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy, Holy Spirit. Fill this place with your presence. Fill the place where we're being participated with online. Fill bedrooms, kitchens, living rooms, backyards with the presence of the living God. We ask in the name of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And all God's children said, even at home, wherever you are, out loud, all God's people said, amen. May it be so, God. May it be so. Well, good morning and welcome to Bethany. We are so honored that you're here with us, not just to listen to the word, what we hope to receive, uh, the word that God wants to implant in our hearts. God does that. God comes to us and God speaks to us and God transforms us by his goodness and his grace. And I want to continue talking this morning about 40 days of prayer that we really inaugurated last week. But it's uh, not till this week that we've had the uh, 40 days of prayer uh, calendar that's available. It should be uh, available wherever you can find the outline there at uh, uh, our live streaming services, whether it's Facebook Live or YouTube Live. And we've got uh, a daily calendar uh, through the month of August and the beginning of September to help kind of guide you in your prayers. And our verse for today is uh, very simple. Our passage for today is from Jeremiah chapter 29. And the passage that our, is our focus this morning is God's message to us, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. What an incredible promise. You see, when we think about our need uh, as individuals, as people, as a church family, as a community, as a state, as a region, as a nation, as a world. There are analogous situations, similar situations that 
God's people throughout the course of human history have gone through. <clears throat> Times when we have felt not completely at home. We have felt destabilized. We have felt decentered. Just think back in the pages of Scripture and uh, Adam and Eve who uh, had to leave their incredible perfect environment of Eden and go, and go, uh, go away, be banished from that home. We think of uh, Cain who because of his sin was exiled from his family home. We think of Abraham who was called to leave his home for a city that he didn't know where that city, where that home, that new home might be. We think of Joseph. This takes us all the way through the book of Genesis, doesn't it? Joseph, who is exiled to another country uh, into disfavor and into prison. And yet scripture tells us throughout the story of Joseph multiple times, it says this phrase, but the Lord was with Joseph. Men and women, if the Lord is with you and he's with me, we're going to be okay. No matter what else goes on around us, what is happening to us externally, if the Lord is with us, we're all right. Think of Moses. He is exiled from Egypt, from the place of power, the Pharaoh's palace, to what's called the backside of the desert. You know, the, the bad neighborhood in the dark, bleak desert regions. But God is there. Think of Elijah who is exiled into the wilderness for 40 days. Think of Israel in general who went uh, into exile ultimately in Egypt as the political and cultural tides turned against them. Then through their exodus, God's incredible provision of Passover, they came out of Egypt, which by that time was their home. They were used to that. They were relatively comfortable there. And they spent 40 years in a wilderness, wondering how long, oh Lord, how long? You think of the time when they kind of made it to the promised land, and yet then they were sent on exile, which is where we'll pick up the story in Jeremiah 29, about 600 years before the birth of Christ. Think even to the New Testament times. Jesus, the incarnation, he came down from his home to make his home among us, the incarnation. Think of the various trials of Jesus that he went through, where the creator of all things and the redeemer of humanity is put on trial, pronounced innocent four times, and then sentenced to death anyway. Think of Jesus on the cross, the ultimate exile. Think of Jesus in the grave, abandoned and alone, to all visual intents and purposes. Think of the early church, the book of Acts, leaders who were in jail or who are executed. Think of the Apostle Paul writing from jail, writing from prison. In the final book of the Bible even, think of the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos, a beautiful, stark Greek island, abandoned and alone and yet not alone because the Lord is with them. So Jeremiah 29 is a passage that speaks to us from the land of exile as we pick up the story in verse 1. Jeremiah 21, 29 and 1 that Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets and all the people who had been, here's our word, exiled to Babylon by who? By King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And this is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives that he has exiled. Before it said Nebuchadnezzar exiled us. God has a part to play also. God sometimes wants to get us alone. God sometimes wants to get our attention. He says, all the captives that God, the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. He says, build homes. What do you do in exile? Build homes and plan to stay. We don't know how long we're here, but build homes, plan to stay. Plant gardens. Plant gardens. Eat the food that they produce. Share some with your neighbors. Marry and have children. This talks about the future. It talks about a, a legacy that we can have even when we're constricted or under the constraints of exile, of isolation, of feeling sometimes, sensing sometimes that we're alone or that we're stuck at home and we're frustrated to not be out and about and around the people of God. Marry and have children, he says, then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. I have five grandchildren. I'm delighted with that. We're happy with that. Brings joy to our hearts. It gives us hope for the future. And he says, multiply. God wants all of us to multiply. We can have spiritual children who we invest in as well as physical, spiritual and emotional children, people in the next generation that we look to and we lift up, we encourage, we walk alongside, we resource. Do not, here's this command, do not dwindle away. That's what it feels like we can uh, have as our experience sometimes. Where we end up having what uh, Bruce this morning at the Family Focus Online called uh, COVID brain. Don't dwindle away. Stay alive, stay alert, stay active. And verse seven, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you. Again, God repeats, I sent you, in this case, into exile. Pray to the Lord for this city. Look at this language. Pray to the Lord for this city, for the community in which you dwell, for the region in which you dwell, for the nation in which you dwell, for the world in which you dwell. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. That's why we're called to pray. And this is what the Lord says, you will be in Babylon for a long, long time. In this case, in the story of Israel, about 600 years, 597 or 587, there were three different, different stages of the exile that took place. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, a long time, longer than you can imagine. And our COVID-19 isolation time has already been longer than we can imagine, four and a half months. But then God promises, I will come. And I will do for you all the good things I have promised. And, and, and maybe underline this, and I will bring you home again. Things will return one day, God says, to normal. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. And 
in those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity. I will restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you. Yet again, God is involved in this space, in this time. And I will bring you, second time he says, home again to your own land. This time won't last forever. Another reflection of this season of time is found in Psalm 137. A very powerful, a very poignant psalm. And it says this, that by the rivers of Babylon, that's modern day Iraq. By the rivers of Babylon, the, the Tigris and the Euphrates, we sat and we wept. Why? We remembered Zion. We remembered our home. We remember being in that place where we sensed God's presence. But now we're just by the rivers of Babylon. So we sat, we wept, we remembered the house of God, the presence of God. And there on the poplar trees, we hung our harps. Nothing to sing about here, they said. Is that true? Is there nothing for us to sing about during the coronavirus crisis? We hung our harps. Verse 3, there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy as if they're taunting us almost. Knowing that we're not at home, knowing that we don't feel the way that we would want to feel. And they said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Your old homeland, sing us one of the songs that meant so much to you when you were at home. Because right now our captors, our, torment, our tormentors are saying, you're not at home. We vanquished you. We broke down the walls of, of Jerusalem and we carried you off to a distant land where you're not at home. And they respond with this plaintive cry at, at this demand to sing in, in a taunting way. Not because they wanted to worship the true and living God, but they wanted to, to kind of push their faces down in the dirt. They wanted to rub salt in their wounds. And here's their response. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? But then something very unusual happens. It's so poignant. That sense of loss, that sense of deprivation, that sense of defeat how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? And yet something very strange happens immediately after verse 4. And it's verse 5. What happens in verse 5? The psalmist says this. If I forget you, Jerusalem. In other words, if I forget you, the place where we were at home. If I forget you, the place where we were they're in God's presence, able to go to the temple of God. If I forget you, Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. Where we're talking to gifted musicians here, talked about uh, laying down their harps, right? Their guitars, we might say today, although we have harps as well, right? Stringed instruments. 
May my right hand forget its skill. May, be, may I be unable to, to perform musically at all, as important as that is to us. In verse 6, may I be incapable of singing. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, Lord. And if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. The, the city, is that important to them? Yes, because this is the city of the king. This is the place where God said, I will establish my temple. This is the place where you can encounter and enjoy my presence forever. We've got New Testament passages that remind us of this as well. Not on your screen, but in your notes. First Peter 2, uh, Peter uh, tells us, uh, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners. In other words, you don't live here. Your citizenship is from heaven, Paul says in Philippians, right? You're temporary residents and foreigners. So keep away from the worldly desires that are at place in our culture that wage war against your very souls, that want to take you down. Be careful to live honorably above your, among your unbelieving neighbors. Because then if... Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. They will give honor to God on the day of salvation. Another passage, not on your screen, but in your notes as well. Hebrews 11. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of things we cannot see. Let me read that again. What is faith? It shows the reality of what we hope for, and it is the evidence of things we cannot see. God, I look to you. I won't be overwhelmed. I may feel overwhelmed. I won't be overwhelmed because I look to you. You're where my help comes from. And it summarizes then a whole litany, a whole list of people from the beginning of human history, all through the history of Israel, Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Joseph and Elijah and men and women. And it says in verse 13, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance. They saw it all from a distance. They saw it by faith. And they welcomed it. It impacted them. And they agree that they are, here's the language again, foreigners and nomads, or NIV has exiles here on earth. We're not home yet. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they're looking for a better place. Like Abraham who left his home and was called to a better place. They're looking for a heavenly homeland. And that's why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. God has prepared a city for you and for me. He has prepared a house for you and for me. Reminds us almost of John 14 where the night before Jesus is betrayed and tried and crucified and executed on a Roman cross. He says, I am going to prepare a house for you.
what can we learn from these passages? What can we learn from this theme of exile, which is from beginning to end a, a, a significant theme, the people of God waiting by faith to receive that which God has promised, to be in their presence, to be together with the Lord. We can learn this. We can learn and realize and take comfort in the fact that, number one, we are in a season of exile. That's the biblical language that we look to. That so many of the prophets, major and minor, are writing either before the exile or during the exile or shortly after the exile. And life is nothing like they knew it before. And they don't know how long it will be. How long, oh Lord, how long until we're home again, until things are normal again? How long? We're in a season of exile, and why is that a comfort? It's not a comfort to be in exile. It's a comfort to know that we're not alone in exile, that other people have been in exile before, that sometimes God can be involved and present with us even in our exile. Even sometimes God may send us into exile for our benefit, for our good, Hebrews 12, for our discipline, quoting Proverbs. We're in a season of exile, number two, but exile isn't the whole story. Exile isn't the whole story. Newscasters have it wrong. In a, a movie a number of years back about uh, the news media, it says, if it bleeds, it leads. In other words, if it's horrific enough, awful enough, that's what they start the show with. That's what they focus on. Who wants to hear good news? God came to bring good news. And here's the good news. Exile is not the whole story. God has our future plan. God has our future plan. Look again at Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 11. You'll be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you two gifts, to give you a future do you know that you have a future right now, today? You're wondering what the future looks like because the present is so awful and because it's nothing like the past. God says, I have two gifts for you. One is a future and the second is hope. God wants to give you a future and a hope. Now, you might hear some people sometimes say, now this is not written for us. And clearly this is first and foremost written to people who are in exile in Babylon who are the people of Israel to whom Jer uh, Jeremiah is sending a communication, is sharing a communication that ultimately comes from the, the Lord of Heaven's armies, the, the God of Israel, about life in the exile. But the New Testament tells us that God shows us these things that are written in our, the Hebrew Scriptures for a reason. In fact, he puts it like this. He says, these things are written to us for our example. They're given to us to kind of share with us something about what life is meant to be like. God has a future for you. God has hope in store for you and for me. This story is not completed. There are chapters yet to come. We've not reached the end of the story. Because the end of the story is like this. We'll be absent from the body and we'll be present with the Lord. Can I have another amen?
even at home. How about even, let's stretch, how about hallelujah? How about thank you, Jesus? Isn't God good? A future, a hope, this is what we need right now. There's a third element that we're given in Jeremiah 29 as well, which is this, verse th uh, number three, while we're in exile, we have a job to do. While we're in exile, we have a job to do. And there's a number of things that he mentions, builds, build homes, plan to stay, plant gardens, settle in, right? It's like Jesus did, as we read in, in uh, John 1, God moved into the neighborhood. We're to move into our neighborhood, make ourselves at home, plan to stay, plant gardens, eat the food, establish a legacy. We can even do that in difficult times, in times where we're not sure where the Lord is, when we're not even sure if he's with us. We're called to leave a legacy, plan for the future. And then this, verse 7, and work for the peace and the prosperity of the city. I extrapolated from that, from the, the area where you live, the city, where I sent you into exile. Your city, your community, your region, your state, your nation, your country, your planet. Pray to the Lord for the city where I sent you into welfare because, where I sent you into exile because its welfare will determine your welfare. If it does well, you'll do well. Are you praying for the place where you live? We're called to, we're instructed to, Goodness knows we've been pray, called to pray for government leaders. And during these politically charged times when everything is political, we're called to pray for, Paul says, or the pastoral epistle tells us, we're called to pray for the king, for the emperor. Paul was praying for the Caesars and telling the people to pray for people like King Herod or King Agrippa. You and I can pray for our leaders and should do so regularly. We certainly talk about them plenty, don't we? Wouldn't you agree? We certainly debate about them easily. We've got a job to do. We're to work for the peace and the prosperity of the area that God sends us, and we're to pray to the Lord for it. That's why we're in 40 days of prayer. That's why one of the kind of the major headings that we'll come to in just a moment uh, for our region, city, state, nation, world. We've got a job to do. So we come now to number four. We're in a season of exile. Exile's not the whole story. God has our future planned. He wants to give us those two gifts, a future and a hope. And while we're in exile, we have a job to do. But number four, ask God, here's prayer again, ask God how you and how I can flourish while in exile. I may not know how to do this, but God knows how to do this. I, I may not have gone through anything like this in my lifetime, but Jesus understands exile. Loved us so much, God sent his one and only son to live among us, to tabernacle among us. John 1.14, to, to pitch a tent in our neighborhood. He understands what it's like. He can show us. I want to suggest from the text that we've looked at today, four practical 
habits that we can just very slowly begin to be part of our lives. I encourage you to do some of these right now as we're even going through them. The first is this, it's pray. Pray. How can you flourish while in exile? Number one, write down pray. Jeremiah 29, 7. He says, don't dwindle away. Pray for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for it. Its welfare will determine your welfare. Verse 12, in those days when you pray, God says, I will listen. When you pray, I will listen. And, and so uh, available hopefully soon and hopefully there on those websites of uh, FaceTime Live, YouTube Live, is our new summer prayer calendar. And I kind of just want to even walk you through it physically, right? So here's what it looks like, the outside, and then here's what it looks like uh, on the inside when you open it up. You've got the uh, prayer calendar as you open that up, right? And then you kind of look down and uh, here we are on Sunday, right? And so Sunday starting at the top, uh, what do we pray for on Sunday? Every Sunday for the next 40 days, we're going to be praying for something different. We're going to pray specifically right now for our church on Sundays. Pray for Bethany on Sundays. Why? Because we're the family of God. We're the body of Christ. We can't yet meet in person. We just had the highest number of cases this past week that we had had. We've had the highest number of deaths that we've had. We can't yet meet in person. We've got to see those numbers come to go down. We've got to continue regularly doing the six feet distancing, not gathering in large groups, washing our hands intensely, wearing our masks. That needs to continue because it's closeness, closeness and, and uh, large amount of times and large amounts of people that causes us problems. So that's what we need to do. Then down below, we're on August 2nd. So we keep going down August 2nd. And so we pray that Bethany becomes more like Jesus. That's what we're praying for today. Pray that Bethany becomes more like Jesus that we would be known by our love. Why? Because Bethany exists to love. Then we'll continue on. On Monday, we'll go across, and tomorrow we'll begin praying as well. On Monday, on Monday we'll be praying for our staff at the church. And tomorrow, August 3rd, we'll be praying for our wonderful high school and, and junior high directors, Raymond Potter, Billy Vasquez. That's August 3rd. And very simply, down below, we've got a long list of things that you can pray just as prompts, you don't have to do this uh, uh, in, intently every item, but you're certainly free to, and it gives you something to pray for each staff when you come. And you look at that, that's a long list. Well, it would take you about 60 seconds to pray for Ray and Billy tomorrow for these things. And we believe that God answers prayer. Then we'll continue on, and here's, you know, we've got Monday, here's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. On the back, we've got Saturday and Sunday. Would you pray with us? Because we believe that God answers prayer. We believe that's one of the things that we're called to when we're in exile, is to slow down and to pray. Secondly, another way you can flourish while you're in exile is this. You can saturate your hearts and your minds with God's word. You can saturate your hearts and your minds with God's word. Some people wake up in the morning and check the news feed on or scroll on their phone. Then they get up and they, 
listen to the evening news or the morning news when you're brushing your teeth and then read the morning paper and then they turn on the morning news and it's news, news, news all through the day. You've got just horror and disaster that come into your hearts and minds and souls and spirits when you saturate yourself with the news that the culture views as being important, which is horrible. Every day I look at the paper intentionally as a pastor, as a leader, because we want to know what's going on in our culture with COVID-19. We want to see if the, those number of cases begin to drop over 14 days. That means we can get together again. That's why I, I check that out. I look at the number of hospitalizations. Is it going up as it is in LA County still? I look at the number of deaths. Is that going up? Even though that's a number that lags, it's still critically important for us to understand. But I, but I don't dwell on that. I do look at it, but I don't dwell on it. I don't look at it during the day. And I, I've learned uh, my daughter lives at home with us. Stephanie lives at home with us. And she said, Dad, stop giving me the statistics. This is about three weeks into the, the crisis. Stop giving me the statistics of the numbers every day. I just can't deal with it. I, I, it just it pulls me down. Of course it does. Instead, saturate your hearts and minds with God's word. We look today at Jeremiah 29. And we're lifted up to learn that we've got two gifts God wants to give us, a future and a hope. We looked at Psalm 137 that talked about people in a similar state of discouragement and, dis and despair. My soul is weighed down, Lord. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while we're here in this horrible situation? And yet, he goes on, says, I will not forget you, Jerusalem. I will not forget you, God. I will consider Jerusalem, the house of God, the home of God, the presence of God, my greatest joy. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. We're having to meet virtually right now. We're having to meet online. We're frustrated about that lack. We miss hugs. Goodness, if we got together, we could even do elbow bumps, right? The, the right elbow of fellowship. We can't even really do that together as a group, but we will. And we can do that emotionally. We can pray for one another as we're beginning to do in a new and a fresh way during these 40 days of prayer. I've got with me some of the prayer requests that have already come in. And it's been heartwarming to see God at work and to see some of these prayer requests come in of what people are asking God to do in their lives. And then as they're sharing passages of scripture that have spoken to them or, or they're sharing what God has done in their lives. Here's one of the uh, part of the Bethany family who writes that uh, a year ago, they realized this week last year, she writes, I was being evicted, moving out of my home. We spent a night in our car, my husband and I, trying to get everything out by the time giving us to a city. We had nowhere to go. I was seven months pregnant. And now, now thankfully we have a home and have been here for almost a year and things couldn't be more different. We were homeless for most of the beginning of last year. Everything is so much different in a better way, personally, but of course not globally. I praise Jesus for everything he's given me and for most of, this, of all the strength to keep going. And I also thank Bethany. They thank you and me for being a strong helping hand in our struggles. And I continue to pray for my family, the Bethany family and the world as it's being impacted so tremendously. Thank you. And she signs the letter. Isn't God good? And God does something when we share our prayers. If you didn't do that when Pastor Prendon encouraged you to do that, I encourage you again. 
saturate your mind in God's word, but then share with us a passage of scripture along with a, a prayer and a petition. Share with us a passage of scripture. Absorb God's word into your heart. Share God's word with each other. We read from 1 Peter 2. We read from Hebrews 11. We referenced other passages. Saturate your hearts and minds and spirits and souls with God's word. Two more. Slow down and seek the Lord. Jeremiah 29, 13 and 14 says this. In those days when you pray, I will listen. But he goes on to say this. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. That's good news. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Where is God right now in your life, in my life, in our life together? Where is God? If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And then he repeats in case we didn't get it the first time. I will be found by you, says the Lord. Praise God. Slow down and seek the Lord. Slow down to what we learned last week to the speed of God, the three-mile-an-hour God. The speed of walking. It's the speed of love. Tosuke Koyama teaches us. Slow down and seek the Lord. And finally, express your praise, gratitude, and thanks to God. Something happens when we praise him. Something happens when we come into his presence. And even when we're there by the rivers of Babylon and we're in tears, we can remember what God has in store for his children. We can remember God has planned for us a future and a hope. So our worship team is going to come up right now, and we're going to share a moment. At the first Sunday of a month, we always share together the Lord's table. And so I want to invite you to prepare for that. Get together uh, the cup, get together the bread, whether you, whatever you have prepared for you there at home. And we're going to come into God's presence and thank him for the, one of the ways that he provides a home for us. Jesus in John 14 through 17 over and over says, I'm preparing a home for you. He says, if you believe in me, my father and I will come to you and make our home with you. God has prepared for us a home. We've grown up experiencing home. We feel displaced now. We feel away from normal. We feel off put. But God prepared for us a home in the past and he has prepared for us a home in the present and he tells us I am going to prepare a home for you, a house for you so that you may be where I am and so our future is assured we have a home prepared for us in the middle of the time in the, in the meantime we're to, to work, we've got a job to do to pray for the welfare of the city where God has planted us and we're called to pray, and we're called to realize God has given us a future and a hope and that we've got a job to do and we can flourish by saturating our hearts and minds in God's word, by being people of gratitude. This past week after last Sunday, just encouraging us from Deuteronomy 8 to spend time, I tried to spend time every day writing down three things I was grateful to God for. There's always things you can look at that are frustrating, that are sometimes staggering, that are wounding, that 
are difficult, that are challenging, that may even be overwhelming, but there's always something to thank God for. Write down every day three things that you're grateful to God for providing for you. Oddly enough, Jesus himself did that in his preparation for the Lord's table. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus, being Jesus, knew that he was about to become the Passover lamb. Knew that this celebration that looked back thousands of years into Israel's history, where they were set free by the blood of an innocent lamb, was about to become reality, and he would be the Passover lamb. And yet he wanted to celebrate us. He said with his followers at the table, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you, before I suffer. And so he took bread. You remember the story. He took bread. He gave thanks. Thank you, God. He broke it. And he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body given for you. Do this to remember. Remember Jerusalem. Remember the house of the Lord. Remember God's presence. Remember what I've done for you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Jesus. And in the same way, after the supper, in the same way, in other words, he took it, he gave thanks. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's poured out for you. The Holy Spirit who used to come and leave, used to come on an individual, not a group, now is available to all who believe in Jesus. Romans tells us that if you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. But that we need to be washed by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. We need to follow the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, live in the Spirit. We take this cup Jesus with his blood made the Spirit's presence possible in my life, in your life, and in our life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, gracious Father. Fill us with your Holy Spirit in a new and a fresh way. And all that's left is for us to express our praise and our gratitude and our thanks by singing. In God's presence, would you sing? Even in your home, even if you feel embarrassed, even if you've got kids looking at you and pointing because that's what our kids do to their parents, to their family. Let's worship our great and our present God who has a future and a hope prepared for us. Amen.